Hey, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at FBC. It's great to be with you this morning as we're uh, carrying on our series called um, Better Together um, for the last well, couple of weeks. And uh, next few weeks, we're going to be exploring or we've been exploring how do we do life well with people who are nothing like us. If you've missed any of the stuff uh, that we've been doing, you can go to fbcnext.com, click on catch up, and you can watch the messages from the, the series. Um, you can also download some discussion questions to use. Maybe you're in a small group, uh, a connect group in the you can use them there, or you can just use them by yourself, um, just to go over and remind yourself of some of the stuff that we've looked at. And we've been re- looking at this whole thing that we're different. You know, everybody is different. We're wired uh, slightly differently, and that means that we interact and we see things in a different way. You can say something in one way and mean it for this, but somebody can interpret it um, in another way. We looked at that on, on week one last week. Karen talked about um, what do we do when there's uh, there's a gap between what we expect to happen and what actually happened. What do we fill that gap with? And she encouraged us and challenged us to not fill that gap with suspicion is what we, we naturally do, but rather to fill that gap, to choose to fill that gap with trust, uh, with forgiveness and with love. Um, so there's some great messages there that you uh, can look at and go over this stuff. And we're going to carry on um, this series this morning. And I want us to just talk about a couple of needs that every single one of us in this room have. Now, we all have needs and many of us, we have lots of needs and lots of different needs, but there are two needs that absolutely every single one of us has. And these needs are in conflict with one another. They contradict one another often. And these these are the needs. So we all have the need to grow and learn. Every single one of us has the need to grow and learn. And most of us, if not all of us, want to grow and learn. We want to be the best versions of ourselves that we possibly can. Whatever aspect of life it is that we're talking about, we want to be the best husbands and wives. We want to be the best um, parents. We want to be the best kids. I believe that. I hope my daughter's in here listening. Uh, We want to be the best at work. We want to be the best with our finances. We want to be the best with our health. We want to be the best at our sports and hobbies and all those things that we want to do. We want to be the best that we possibly can be. We want to grow and learn. But we also have a need to be accepted, respected, and loved for who we are today. And that can contradict or it can be in conflict with one another because I want to, I I know I need to grow and learn and I want to grow and learn, but I also want to be validated and accepted and loved and valued for who I am right now, not for who the person that I'm going to be when I go through this process of growing and learning. You know, there's so many aspects of my life where I need to grow and learn skills and and abilities, character stuff uh, as well. And I want to do that, but I also need to right now, today, who I am today, feel that love, feel that value and feel that acceptance. And this sometimes, these two things work in tension because when we want to grow uh, and learn, that highlights that we're not quite there yet and therefore we feel not, that we're not valued, we're not accepted and we're not loved um, for who we are today. So we're going to look at this through the lens of one aspect of life that absolutely everyone in this room loves and that is feedback. Woohoo! Who loves a bit of feedback? Whose hobby is feedback? No? No one? No, everybody absolutely hates feedback. But we need to get better at this. So why don't we split into groups and spend the next 20 minutes just ripping one another apart? Should we do that? Who's up for that? Nobody's up for that. Why? Because we all hate this thing. Nobody likes feedback. Nobody lists it on their list of hobbies. Nobody, you know, when he said, what did you do for the summer or all over the holidays? Oh, well, we just got family and friends together and we sat in a circle and we gave one another feedback. It was brilliant. Nobody does that. And if you do do that... 
well, we probably need to have a conversation. Uh, and we don't like this. We, we, we struggle with this. This is not on a list of, of hobbies um, that we have um, at, at all. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, yeah, okay, I, I'm with that. We're going to look at, at this and we're going to engage with the subject. But you might be thinking, well, that, that's great, Chris, but why are we doing that in church? You know, why would we do feedback um, in church? It doesn't sound very spiritual to me. If you've been around FBC for a, a period of time, I hope that you've heard us say that everything is spiritual. You know, sometimes we put things into a spiritual box and we'll say praying and singing and worshipping and giving maybe and serving, that's spiritual stuff, loving people, that's spiritual. And then there's these non-spiritual things. That's a load of rubbish. That's a load of nonsense. Everything is spiritual. Actually, that, that word spiritual is a human construct where we put up and actually we, we decided to segregate things. God is interested in every single aspect of your life. God wants to be involved in everything that you do. He wants to be in every thought that you have. He wants to be in every word that you speak. He wants to be in every action that you do. He wants to be in absolutely everything. He's interested in every aspect of your life, every relationship of your, your life, every, everything that you do, every penny you spend, absolutely all that you are and everything that you are. God wants to be involved in your life. And what's more, he wants to help you be better at what you do. Jesus makes life better and he makes us better at life. And feedback is a key way in in which we can grow and learn and feel valued and loved and accepted. What better place to talk about this than in church? Now, if you've ever done psychology or sociology, you might have come across this. This is called the Joe Harry window. Who's come across the Joe Harry window before? Two people. Brilliant. So this is new for you. This is great. This is, this is helpful. This was developed by two psychologists um, called Joe and Harry. I kid you not. And they called it the Joe-Harry window. So, I mean, that is creativity there. And it talks about that these different quadrants of our lives. So there's me and there's you or there's others. And we've got here, in this, this one window, this one quadrant, is the stuff that's open. That's the stuff I know about me and it's the stuff that you know, know about me. Those, those things that are visible. In this quadrant, it's the hidden stuff. This is the stuff that only I know. It's the stuff that I don't let you know. It's the stuff that I don't tell you. It's the secrets that I keep to myself, that I keep closed away, that I don't let you into. Down here is the blind stuff. This is the stuff that you know about me that I just seem to be blind about. I don't know that sort of stuff. You can see it and it's obvious to you, but for whatever reason, it's, it's not obvious to me. I'm completely unaware of that. And then in this quadrant is the unknown stuff. That's the stuff that you don't know. It's the stuff that I don't know. It's the stuff that only God knows about us. And the whole point of this Joe Harry window is that we don't want to have equal segments in this. We don't want you know, our open, hidden, blind, and unknown to be equally weighted. Actually, the goal is for us to make the open window as big as possible. Now, if you just think about some of the people that you know, I'm sure you know people who have a massive hidden window. Um, People who seem to be very secretive, they don't let their guard down, they put on a front, they put on a face, and they don't really show you really what they're thinking or really what they're feeling. Uh, and they don't disclose that information, they're not willing to be vulnerable, you know, they're very guarded. Uh, people you know, with that big hidden window. And I'm sure you know many people who have a big blind window. There's so many things, maybe you work with them, and they say things, it might be your boss or, or somebody, and they come in and they'll say something, and then they'll leave, and the rest of you will just talk about something uh, behind, the bed, behind their bed back because they're completely unaware of what they're saying or what they're doing, but everybody else can see it. The problem is that when we have big hidden windows and big blind windows, we lose authenticity and we lose trust. And our relationships are not as good as they could be. 
And the goal is to be as open as possible. The way we do that is by shrinking our hidden window and by shrinking our blind window. And we shrink our hidden window, obviously, by disclosing, by being willing to share, by being willing to be vulnerable and open with other people. And we shrink our blind window by asking people to speak into our lives, by giving them permission and authority to actually contribute to us and to let us know those things that we are unaware of. Now, just to think about the people that you'd like to spend time with. Think about the people you'd like to have a friendship with, a relationship with. Think about the people you'd like to work with or the people you'd like to work for. Would you want somebody who's got a big hidden window and a big blind window? Or would you want somebody who's got a big open window? That microphone's going to fall. Uh, of course, we all want to be, spend time with people like this, with this big, massive open window. And the way that we do that is feedback, is by engaging in feedback. Now, I'm sure I'm sure many of you have had feedback training at work. Who's had feedback training at work? A few people. Has anybody actually got arms? So there's a few people with, with arms. So three of us have had feedback training. And I'm pretty sure the feedback training, I've had feedback training, believe it or not. I'm pretty sure the feedback training you've had is similar to the stuff that I've had. Is about how do we give better feedback, yeah? Is that the sort of stuff that you've done? So there's like the seven-one rule, um, if you come across that. So you have to say seven positive things for every negative thing. Or the sandwich rule, that you've got to sandwich a negative thing in between two positive things. Have you come across stuff like that? That's all great and it's all helpful. The problem with that, if you're anything like me, is that when when people are listing seven positive things, what are you doing? Well, you're waiting for that one negative thing. And at the end of the day, what is the thing that you listen to? What is the thing that, that, that you remember in your head? Is it the seven positive things? No, it's a waste of energy and waste of space. You just remember that one negative thing. Or they're doing the sandwich technique. You can see when it's coming. You know, you know there's always going to be a but. So you're never listening to that, those two positive things. Actually, they carry no weight at all. But anyway, there's loads of really helpful stuff about how we can give um, better feedback. I don't want us to look at that this morning, because I think actually the way that we can do this is if we're able to receive better feedback. And that's the stuff um, that I'd like us to just spend a few moments looking at. How, do we, how can we get better at receiving feedback, whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever situation we're in? And actually, the Bible talks a lot about this. There's, there's loads of stuff in this about our relationships and how we handle um, this sort of stuff. And there's a guy called Solomon who was said to be one of the wisest people, if not the wisest person ever to live. And when so Solomon was younger, God said to him, you know, what is it you want? You can have anything you want, and, and I'll give it to you. And just imagine God said that to you. You know, what is it you want? You can have absolutely anything, and I will give it to you. Solomon's answer to that question was wisdom, which I think is amazing, because I'd have asked for a PS4 or a new car or something like that. But Solomon asked for wisdom when he was young, and God gave him wisdom, and he lived this, you know, this life, and, and, and he was said to be very wise. He wrote one of the, or, well, a couple of the books in the Old Testament. One of them is called Proverbs, and it's full of loads of these, these sayings which are still used today, you know, these wise phrases to help us live through life. And quite a few of these Proverbs speak into this whole issue of feedback. Let's have a look at a couple. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. You know, Solomon is saying, and it's quite simple this, isn't it? It's not complicated. Again, it's another classic example of where, um, you know, some of these instructions that we read in the Bible is quite simple. It's not hard to understand. The difficult bit comes in actually living it out. And Solomon says, you know, if you heed life-giving correction, if you listen to it and if you take it on, 
you will be counted among the wise. But if you disregard discipline, you despise yourself. Actually, to disregard that critique and that feedback is actually damaging to yourself. There's another uh, verse that says it a little bit succinctly. He says, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Who wants to be counted among the wise? I do. I want people to think that I'm a wise person. I want to be counted among the wise, because what's the opposite? Well, if you're not counted among the, the wise, you're counted among the foolish. None of us want that. And Solomon says the way we do that, the way we achieve wisdom, and the way we get counted among the wise people is to listen to advice. Now, I'm pretty sure every single one of us in this room, whether we're a Christian or not, whether we believe in God or not, wherever we are on our faith journey or not, actually sees the wisdom in this, and we agree that this is true. I'm pretty sure all of us think, yeah, if I listen to advice, and if I accept that, that critique, and I accept that, that discipline, I would be wiser, I would be better for it. We know this is true, so therefore why don't we do it? Why do we run away from it? Why do we push back against it? Well, let's look at something that Solomon's dad, David, said about this. Now, David knows all about feedback. David was a, a king, a great king of Israel, um, but he made quite a few mistakes. And one of his biggest mistakes was one day he was supposed to be off at fighting war, but he stayed behind. He sent somebody else off. Have you ever noticed things go wrong when you're somewhere where you shouldn't be? I mean, that's David's story. And he's on this roof of his castle, wherever it is, uh, and he's looking out um, over uh, the land, and he sees his neighbor's wife taking a bath, and he thinks, thinks to himself, I like her, I want her. So he takes her and he sleeps with her and she gets pregnant and he realizes he's made a mistake. Um, so he tries to call her husband, um, a guy called Uriah, back from battle. He's off fighting where David should be. He calls him back to try and trick Uriah to go in to sleep with his wife. But Uriah knows what's going on. So he doesn't give in. He doesn't do that. In the end, David has no choice. He kills Uriah. He can, uh, engineers it so that Uriah gets killed in battle. And then he marries Bathsheba to try and cover all of this up. He made a massive mistake. God sent a prophet, a guy called Nathan, to David to tell him about this, to correct him in this. And David realizes what he's done. And he repents of it, and he realizes he made a massive mistake. And David wrote um, lots of these things called psalms that we find in the, New in the Old Testament. So they're, like, they're, they're poems and, and prayers. And in one of them, David writes this. Let a righteous man strike me, that is kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is all on my head. Now, that seems a bit confusing because, you know, if a righteous person strikes me, I wouldn't say that's very kind. If I get rebuked, I wouldn't say that's oil on my head. That's supposed to be a nice thing. Actually, the sound of oil on my head sounds horrible, but in that culture, it was, it was a big blessing. Uh, uh, yeah, so what is going on there? And, you know, David is literally saying, let somebody who is good put me right, set me straight, put me on the right path. That's like being struck. It's like them hitting me. It's painful, but actually... It's kindness. You know, being rebuked, being challenged, being critiqued, being corrected, it's like oil on my head. It's a blessing. And David is speaking to this tension that we all know to be true, that actually there is benefit in feedback, but it's painful. And often because of the pain, we push back against it, and we don't engage, we don't listen, we don't grow and learn, and we also don't feel valued, loved, and accepted. And a phrase that you know, the team tried to use at FBC around here is, we recognize this tension, we recognize that feedback is painful, but it's helpful. So when somebody gives us feedback, we want to acknowledge the pain, but we also want to acknowledge the goodness in it. So we try and say, ouch, that helps. Ouch, 
that helps. This is such a helpful thing. It's been so helpful for me in receiving feedback because, you know, it does hurt. When people say, Chris, that was good, but it wasn't quite good enough, or, or that could be better, or we can improve it in that way, do you know what? That does hurt because I don't want people to say that. I want people to think that I'm perfect. Now, I know that's crazy because I know that I'm not perfect. Believe it or not, I do know that I'm not perfect. And when you say things that actually says that could be better, that does hurt. And the problem is, if I just engage in the pain, I shut down, my walls come up, my, my barriers come up, and I don't listen to that life-giving, helpful critique, which can help me grow and learn. So I need to acknowledge the pain and also acknowledge that it is helpful. There's a great book that talks all about this called Thanks for the Feedback. I really encourage you, um, if you struggle with receiving feedback, this is a great book uh, to get hold of. I've got a copy here. You can have a look at it um, at the front uh, at the end of the service. So let's just look at this. What, why do we go through this process? Why do we struggle so much with feedback? Well, first of all, let's understand what feedback is. There's three types of feedback. So the classic is evaluation. That's the thing that we most naturally think about. So that's like a performance review. That's like a grading. Um, it might even your bank balance is an evaluation. It's a critique. An evaluation is it's telling you how you are doing. And this is the classic thing that we think of as feedback. And this is the thing that can be a little bit painful. But there's more. There's coaching as well. That's a type of feedback. This is actually the stuff that helps us grow and learn. So who has a coach or who's had a coach at some point um, in their life? Who's had a sports coach? You know, I've had a sports coach. What about a work coach? Somebody at work who's helped you in a specific area? Yeah, a few people. What about a life coach or a spiritual coach. Anybody have one of those? So, excellent. I've got a life coach or a spiritual coach, a guy who I meet, a mentor who, you know, I try and um, make my hidden window as small as possible with him. So I disclose stuff to him. I try and be as open and honest. And I also ask him to speak into my blind spots to let me be aware of that. Now, actually, a lot of what we do on a Sunday morning is about this coaching thing that right now we're trying to do a little bit of coaching because we want to help you live life better. We know that life is complicated. You know that. I know that. We want to get it right. And FBC, we want to help because God wants to be involved in every single aspect of your life. Jesus wants to make your life better and he wants to make you better at life. And our goal on a Sunday morning isn't just to help you know the Bible better. It's to actually help you be a better follower of Jesus. And there's massive coaching and stuff that goes into that. The third area of feedback is appreciation. This is the thing that motivates us. This is the thing that keeps us going. This is that thing of being noticed and valued and, and, and appreciated. And the thing is that we need all three types of feedback. Uh, so we need appreciation, we need coaching, and we need uh, evaluation. And if you're somebody who gives feedback, you need to give all three types of feedback. I don't mean at the same time, but if you only ever give that critical um, feedback, actually, that's not going to land as well. But if you appreciate people and you show that value and that worth to people, if you show people that you, you're for them and you want to help them and you actually give them tools and tips if you're able to, to coach them through that, that when you do evaluate and when you do come to that point to be a bit critical and say, that was okay, but it could be a lot better, those words carry so much more weight than if you're just somebody who only evaluates and only evaluates and only points out that wasn't good, that wasn't good, that wasn't good. If you show appreciation and, you, and you're helpful, then actually when you evaluate, those words carry a lot more. Now, just think about this. Remember back in the day when you were at college or at school and you, and you submitted an assignment um, to be marked and it comes back? Um, do you remember? I remember this when I was at college. Um, we, my assignment would go in and you'd be waiting and you'd be waiting for it to come back and it'd come back you'd have a cover sheet on it. Did you have that experience? And on the cover sheet would be two things. There'll be a whole list of comments and then there'll be a 
grade or a marking on it. Now, where do you go straight away when you see that piece of paper? What's the first thing you look at? The mark, yeah? Is it just me? Do you look at the mark? Is anybody there? Have you all fallen asleep? No, you look at the grade. You go straight to the grade. You don't go to the coaching. You go to the bit that tells you how well you've done. Ironically, it's the coaching, it's the comments that will actually tell you how you could get a better grade next time. But do you go there first? No, of course you don't. And actually, you read that coaching in light of what that grading is. So if the grading was good, you think, yeah, that's great. I don't even need to read the coaching because I'm brilliant. And if the grading was bad, you think, well, I'm not going to listen to what that teacher or lecturer says because they obviously don't like me and don't know what they're talking about. And it's just this ironic way that we engage with feedback because often when we get this critique, um, we respond out of these different triggers. And there's, there's three classic types of them. So the first one is truth, um, truth triggers. You know, we are so good as human beings at, at wrong spotting. I'm sure you've done this, and I'm sure you can think of examples. When somebody has critiqued you and said something to you, and what you've done is looked for or you've spotted the one thing that isn't true about what they've said, and therefore what do you do? Well, we discredit the whole of the feedback. You know, there might be loads of stuff that might be true, but they've said that one thing, and that's not, that's not quite correct. So therefore, that just justifies me to not listen to all of it. And actually, in some cases, 90% of what is being said might not be true. But what about that 10%? What about that small, tiny bit that actually is true and could be helpful and would help you grow and learn? How often do you throw out all of that feedback um, because there was something wrong in it and you use that as an excuse to discredit uh, that at all? You know, the problem is when we, don't, when we do that when, and when we're not willing to listen to that 10% and in any sort of feedback, there's at least one tiny bit that is true and helpful. When we don't do that, we don't heed that life-giving correction that Solomon talked about and therefore we're not able to be counted among the wise. The second trigger is relational. You know, who gives you the feedback is massive. Your relationship with them, whether you like them or trust them or think they're worth or value, whether you think they're actually good at what they're talking about. You know, so somebody is giving you feedback and you think they are worse at that than you are. I mean, what impact does that have on the way uh, that you listen to that? So if we don't like them or if there's a reason for us not to listen to it, we choose not to listen to it. But it's not just about the people we don't get on with, the people that there's a gap with. Sometimes this is really difficult with the people that we are closest to. And I know this is true, because just think about this. Have you ever tried to give feedback to your wife? How did that go? Not very well. Nervous laughter, isn't there? Is there a few nudging going in? It's awkward, isn't it? I know that when I give feedback to Louise, it doesn't go well. And I know that, and Louise knows that when she gives feedback to me, it doesn't go well. Why is that? Is it because I don't like it? No, I love her and she loves me. But there's something about that dynamic. So we have to be really careful in that. So that's why I get other people to give her feedback uh, because it's better <laughs> for our marriage. I'm sure she does it to me as well. All those things. Can you tell him about this? He's always playing golf. The last one is massive. And this is identity. How we see ourselves has a huge impact on how we receive that feedback. And identity is sort of like the story we tell, about, tell ourselves about ourselves. It's also how we're wired. So going back um, to the temperaments in week one, if you didn't see this, I really encourage you to, to watch it back, not just because it's me and I'm brilliant, but there you go. It's really helpful. Uh, and we identify that there's these four different um, temperaments, four different ways that we're wired. And just think about this in like of feedback. So we've got this 
yellow, this people-focused um, extrovert, somebody who's orientated around people and fun, how are they going to respond to giving feedback? Well, they're massively people-focused, and they love appreciation and affirmation, so they're probably not going to say what needs to be said in the same depth. They're probably going to hold back on their critique a little bit. There's probably a lot more that they could say, but they don't want to hurt you or upset you, so they don't say quite what they're going to say. But also, how are they going to receive feedback? Now, this is somebody who needs affirmation and needs affection. So when you say to them, actually, you know what, that was okay, but it could have been better, they're going to hear that a lot harder than perhaps somebody who is a task-focused, introverted blue who's all about perfection and order. Now, this person, when they give feedback, are going to really carefully consider the words that they use, but they're going to carefully consider them in light of the task, not in light of the people. They're going to think about, how do I ensure you know where you have failed so that you can be better? Not, how do I make sure I say this in a way that's going to sit nicely with you? And we just need to be mindful of that, because if you're a blue and you're giving feedback to a yellow, you need to be really careful in how you do that. There's, a, there's this spectrum about how we receive uh, feedback, so sensitive to insensitive, and we're all at, at different points on the spectrum at different times, depending about what the feedback's about, about who's giving it, you know, loads of different factors. But generally, some of us are more to the sensitive side of feedback. We feel it sensitively. Who's, who's at that end of the spectrum? Let's, let's own it. Let's be, yeah, that's good. There you go. So a few of us um, are down there. The challenge for those of us who are down this end of the spectrum is that we can tend to read more into feedback than is there. So when somebody says that was good, but it could be better, what we can hear is that we are awful, we are rubbish, we're never good enough, we're complete failures. That's not what's being said. So if that is you, if you're more sensitive to feedback, know that you're more sensitive to feedback. Own that, be aware of that, and try not to read too much into what is being said. What about this other end? Who's in the insensitive end of the spectrum? I probably shouldn't call you insensitive, should I? But you don't really care because you're insensitive. You don't mind what I call you <laughs> at all. You know, you have, we have challenges up there. Actually, I'm probably more sensitive and more honest than that. But you guys have challenges as well because your challenge could be that you don't listen to feedback, that you're not aware that somebody is actually critiquing you, that you dismiss it and those things. Knowing where we are on the spectrum is really important. The whole point is, is that if we're responding to feedback out of one of these triggers, out of truth, relational, or identity, we are never going to listen properly so that we can learn and grow, and we're never going to feel that value, acceptance, and love. Because it's really difficult to improve something when we're trying to prove something. If we're putting a front up and we're trying to impress or we're trying to show that we're all okay, we're never going to improve because we're constantly trying to prove. Um, thanks for the feedback. has loads of really helpful stuff on that. So I really encourage you, if you struggle with this whole area of receiving feedback, grab yourself a copy of that book and read it. But let's just think a little bit more about this whole area of identity. Because, you know, identity, remember that, this is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. It's also the things that we want people to think about ourselves. Every single one of us has a list of things how we want people to view us. And it's, almost, it's sort of like this, you know, like, like a list of things. And, you know, I, I want you to think certain things about me. Right now, I'm doing something that speaks to my identity. I love this part of my job. And, and I want you to think that I'm a good communicator. I want you to think that what I share is helpful. I want you to think 
that I help you discover Jesus and follow him and live life better. And I want you to say things um, that are going to affirm my identity, that, that puts a tick in my box. And each one of us have those different things. Whatever it is, you might want people to think you're, you're helpful, that you're loving, that you're fun, that you're outgoing, that you're knowledgeable, that you're wise, that you're strong, that you're powerful, whatever it is. We all have this whole list of things that, that we tell ourselves about ourselves and we want other people to say about us. And we need people to validate us, to affirm us, to put a tick in our box. What happens when somebody says something about us that speaks to our identity or challenges our identity? Now, this whole preaching process, we actually go through quite a, a, a vigorous, a rigorous feedback cycle. So everybody who preaches at FBC has to submit um, a full outline or manuscript of their talk at least three weeks in advance of that talk to the rest of the preaching team. And then the preaching team rips it apart. And they evaluate and say, that's okay, but this could be better, this could be better. Every six, So I did this. I said in my talk about feedback, to get feedback. And as I send that in, what I'm hoping is that it will come back and say, Chris, that was brilliant, there's no comment. I could make on it to make it better. Does that ever happen? No, because <laughs> it's never brilliant and it's never perfect and there's never anything that can't be improved. So I always get these comments back and, and sometimes I need to be aware of that. I need to prepare myself for that and say, ouch, that helps. And what that means, you know, if you don't like the content of what we're talking about, don't blame me, blame the preaching team. We do this together. Um, but when, when people say things and actually say, you know, that's not good or, or about those things that I'm looking for a tick in my box and they critique and, and, and it's a negative response, it, it feels like this. A big, massive red X against my identity, against the things that I say about myself. And I don't care who you are, whether you're a people-focused or task-focused person, that really hurts. And we struggle with that because we need to feel validated and we need um, to have that sense of appreciation from other people. We need people to appreciate us. Our sense of value and worth decreases when we get that red X in our box. And this is where I am so thankful for my faith and I'm so thankful for Jesus because of what he thinks and what he says about me. You know what? My, my wife loves me but I think sometimes she tolerates me. My kids think I'm embarrassing. My mum thinks I'm special, because of course I'm her favorite. My God thinks I'm to die for. You know, we care what people think about us, but not all opinions are equal. I care about what my family think. I care about what my friends and what my team think. I care about what my God thinks about me. Just listen to this verse taken from the New Testament. But to all who believe in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who believe in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That if you believe in Jesus and if you accept Jesus on his terms, not on your terms, if you accept Jesus for what he's done, not for what you've done, if you believe in him and put your hope and your trust in him, he calls you a child of God. And that means that all the fullness that was given to Jesus, all, all the fullness of God that, that was given to Jesus is given to you. That we are heirs to the kingdom of God. That all that love and all that value and all that, that grace and mercy bestowed from the Father onto the Son, God bestows that onto you. 
that God looks at you and he loves you and he values you and he appreciates you and he accepts you and he loves you. Why? Well, because you are a child of his. And no matter what has been said to you, no matter what has been spoken over you, no matter what feedback people are giving to you that says you're not enough, that you're not good enough, that you're not big enough, that you're not strong enough, that you're not wise enough, God looks at you and he says, you're enough. I love you. I care for you. I value you. Everything I have, I want to give to you. That's why I was willing to become born as a baby and grow up and live a life. That's why I was willing to be despised and rejected. That's why I was willing to be nailed on a cross and painfully die for you. And you know what? I would do it again in a heartbeat. Why? Well, because I love you. What does God think about you? He thinks you're amazing. He thinks you're wonderful. He thinks you're special. You are dearly loved. That when he looks at you, he delights in you because he loves you because he loves you, because he loves you. We are sons and daughters of God. So as we reflect on what Chris has just said, we're going to stand and sing this final song together.
than anything else. I thank you that we are your sons, that we are your daughters, 
and we can get our identity, our sense of value, our sense of worth in who you are, in what you've done, and in what you think about us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let me just take a seat.